Welcome to the Gagaris Mammal Podcast. This is Chris. I am on the road using the internal microphone on my laptop just to bring a little introduction to this episode. So apologies for that. I am at a documentation hackathon in the southern city of Zeged in Hungary. Very interesting place. Probably cover some more of that when I get back. But I wanted to introduce two interviews again around kind of blockchain space. First is an interview with ex-Ripple CTO, Stefan Thomas, where we talk about Ripple and some of his new projects, which are Coil and Codius. And that was an interview from Tech Open Air in Berlin back in June. And then the second short couple of clips is with Emmanuel Pooley, or Pulis, I think Pooley, from the Malta Blockchain Summit, which I will be going to later in the year, to talk a little bit about Malta, how it views blockchain, i.e favorably and more about the summit coming up in november uh, so enjoy second product is xrapid xrapid tackles sort of the next um, next step up which is a liquidity management mm-hmm. um, so today the way liquidity is usually provisioned um, for cross-border payments is that people pre-fund money around the world and so xrapid replaces that by using cryptocurrency um, to yeah, to move to move money around the world. So rather than having money already at the destination, you have one pool of crypto. You move it to the country that you need it. You convert it, and then you can use it mm-hmm. as, a, as liquidity for your payment. Um, and it actually works with um, both XRP and Bitcoin, um, which a lot of people don't know. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think because it's Ripple has yeah. you know, XRP yeah. only. Um, but in practice, like actually, only, our customers only use um, XRP because it's just cheaper and faster and why, why wouldn't you? Um, and so that's sort of X, X rapid. And then the last product is XVIA, which is essentially, um, it's an it's a easy API for anyone who wants to make payments to hook into the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a corporate or you're a payment service provider and you want to send money around the world, you can call this like XVIA API and you don't have to worry how exactly it's going to execute and, and who's going to execute it. Um, it just sort of provides this one unified interface. So those are the three main if my memory serves me rightly, wasn't the protocols on PayPal that will begin with X as well? Is that a bit of a dig? <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, I always find I always find the the X thing a little bit silly because it comes, I think, from the X and XRP. Yeah, I know. I which, is, which is which is is really just the ISO letter for it's not a country. Okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> so it's okay. not really specific to it, but yeah. that's what's stuck. So. Okay. Um, so to to I actually did go to uh, quite a good demo explanation from someone who works for you a year or so ago, and my memory was that yeah, it's more of a connecting point between the various protocols. That's the main thing that people are using. Um, I'm guessing they're not. It's not Ripple itself. It's X X current X current. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if it was called that then, but maybe the the portfolio has grown since then. <laughs> um, and from memory, that was, yeah, you could connect, in theory, a US dollars PayPal account to uh, a German euro bank account to a Chinese, maybe, WePay account. I'm not sure if you've gotten into China yet, but in principle, that's, uh, yeah. Um, and how, how well is it working? I think you actually do have some reasonable uh, clients now or 
if you call them clients or just customers or developers, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. you have some reasonably well-known people using the protocol now. Yeah, so I, I think at this point, uh, Xcurrent is well-established. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's been rolled out by some large banks, for instance, Santander okay. um, is building a, uh, an application called 1FX that mm-hmm. lets their customers move money um, all over the world um, using Xcurrent in the background. Um, so that's actually moving billions mm-hmm. of dollars already. Um, Xrapid is a little bit newer, um, and so... Um, uh, a lot of the projects for XRapid X are in production. They're moving real money, but they're still at a pilot kind of scale. Um, but the initial results are really positive. People are seeing really real savings. And so we expect that that will scale up. And, and some of the companies that have agreed to um, to use XRapid X are companies like um, American Express and um, uh, Western Union. So they're, okay. they're big companies that are yeah. um, testing this. And Especially so Western they, Union is interesting. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, it's actually interesting, Western Union, because I think um, they have a very interesting cost structure. They're, they're not that different from like a TransferWise mm-hmm. or a PayPal in terms of like the payment back end, the, the, how they actually fulfill the payments. Um, but they have a very different front end where they, they, they have sort of the cash Shops agents. Yeah, and so yeah. On. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I actually interviewed I interviewed someone in Dubai last year who was doing an equivalent for this because he said a lot of the migrant workers there will literally go to they get paid they go to the ATM take out all their cash go to Western Union and transfer it back to their family and it, he felt like it seemed like such a broken way of doing it it's like one digital system taking out cash and then going to another digital system <laughs> Surely there was a better way. I don't know. We'll I mean, see. This is, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is exactly what the, the sort of vision that mm. Ripple has. It's like, how do you, um, why is this so different for payments than it is for information? Mm-hmm. Where we now have the internet, and once you're on the internet, everything is sort of interoperable, right? Yeah. I can email you even if you're yeah. a different provider. The money is still one of these things that people think of as tangible, even though actually for a long time it hasn't been real. <laughs> um, uh, but people still think of it. And actually, in that way, we haven't, you haven't mentioned the B word yet. You haven't mentioned blockchain. Mm. And unless I'm mistaken, I'm pretty sure that's what you are based on some form or another or not anymore or have you invented your own kind of alternative to it or yeah so that, that I think that's a really good good question so Ripple's always been a payments company mm-hmm. first and then yeah. you know, blockchain yeah. always be has always been in our DNA um, but we were never dogmatic about what yeah. technology to apply um, and so what we ended up with is there's a little bit of blockchain in all of the different products um, so for example in XCurrent um, everyone in the transaction chain, Mm. we want to make sure that they see the same outcome of the transaction. So Mm. one thing that happens in Swift is that the message gets passed on and then something fails. And so Mm. some people have seen a successful payment and some people have seen a failed payment. Which happens in the US and Europe quite a lot. Yeah, Yeah. there you go. Um, And so with Xcurrent, we want to avoid that. And so we use a blockchain, which actually... You know, works very different than sort of the traditional shared ledger blockchain because traditional. <laughs> I've been in this space for eight years. years so now, this is yeah. like ancient history. <laughs> no, um, so so the traditional blockchain is kind of like you have a shared ledger, everyone's on the same ledger, and you kind of move move that forward. Um, but with XCurrent, we essentially create a ephemeral ledger, a ledger that only lives for the duration of one transaction, and so that gives us a couple of benefits. So yeah. number one, you have better privacy yeah. on a shared ledger; everyone can see everything on. This kind of 
ephemeral ledger, we can create it only between the parties of that transaction, mm-hmm. plus maybe the regulators that mm-hmm. need to see it. Um, so you can exactly control who sees what. And you reduce um, the scaling issue, I guess. You That's, solve the yeah. scaling issue. Yeah. Very uh, <laughs> yeah. astute. So, um, yeah, and, and those are exactly kind of things. Like when you apply a technology to a specific use case, you're going to make adaptations. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's going to be the thing that makes it viable. Like, and so, yeah. um, I think, yeah, all of our products use blockchain in some form, but it's adapted to that use case. And uh, I guess this might be why I, ha- I have. I mean, I, for my own personal reasons, ignoring the technical ones, I was interested in what you did because of the kind of lifestyle I have led. Um, but I know in the blockchain space, you're somewhat um, controversial. Mm. A probably because you know you're using a sort of your own version of the concept, and B because a lot of people say it's too centralized, which is a criticism of, of a lot of private blockchains, and that's a bigger discussion. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess what's 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 your perspective on that? Is it kind of what you said in that you were a payments company first, and that community can just deal with that? Or <laughs> well, I, I think to a large extent, what happened was Bitcoin came out first, yeah. and then. Came out to address some of the limitations of Bitcoin. Now, you have some community where people are very invested in it, and and you know, like in some cases, they have a lot of money in it, and so now there comes this competitor, and so I think a lot of the criticisms were actually literally just motivated by, mm. you know, hey, you're competing with us, we're gonna mm-hmm. make you sound not so good, mm. um, and I think taking the centralization point for example like you know the XRP ledger was really designed to be more decentralized than Bitcoin um, you know and and you know the there was more of a road to get there I think Bitcoin started more mm-hmm. more decentralized and it's getting more and more centralized to the point where we now have I think four mining pools that have a majority two of them owned by the same company Bitmain mm-hmm. so like there isn't that much decentralization yeah no for sure they, no, yeah, and, and they're all in China yeah, too and yeah, so it's yeah. like the, the whole decentralized ledger technology starts to make things more interesting but yeah yeah, yeah traditional blockchains are still actually way more centralized exactly yeah. and so with, with, with XRP Ledger we try to address that solve that problem and the way that it tries to address it is by having the users choose who the validator should be mm. and so with XRP Ledger you've seen the opposite trend where it started with just Ripple has validators Mm. and now there are hundreds of validators outside of Ripple and um, some of them are building up a track record and so people are going to start trusting them once they once they see that they're reliable Mm -hmm. and so you're going to get to a point where you know, XRP Ledger is running on a bunch of high-quality validators in a bunch of different time zones that have nothing to do with each other, while Bitcoin is still running in, in a few time zones in China mm-hmm. and uh, with only a few pools. And so I think you still, you'll see that reversal. But, you know, it, I don't like arguing that. No, point. no, no. I, I yeah. prefer just waiting until it happens and then yeah. confronting people with the yeah. reality. And, and the ledger you refer to, is that a public ledger or is it a... Yeah, so XRP Ledger is a, a public... <laughs> Blockchain. Um, just okay. And now, what? So the you, you say you have the, the blockchain-like technology that mm-hmm. exists for the lifespan of the transaction, and then the result of that is recorded in the ledger. Is that so? So the way it works is um, what I was describing earlier with the the sort of blockchain that exists for the lifetime of a transaction. That's X current, and that's used okay. for fiat transactions. Okay. Um, with X rapid, we we actually use cryptocurrency or digital assets, right? Um, and so. So those that cryptocurrency lives on XRP Ledger. That's a public blockchain. 
So in different products, we're using blockchain in different mm-hmm. ways, mm-hmm. right? So in Xcurrent, we're using it in the way I described. In Xrapid, we're using it in a maybe more traditional way, um, although there are a lot of improvements compared to something like Bitcoin. Okay. Um, and for... for um for, for a, a company that's interested in adopting the, the various protocols you have, what's the how 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 technically does a does a developer implement implement this? I mean, obviously in a in a big bank, it's going to be probably more complicated by from their side than your side. But just just take for example, there's a developer in bank of couch that wants to implement. Um, ripple into their workflow so customers can exchange various currencies in and out. What does that look like? How does it work? Mm-hmm. What's the step? Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty much a, a very traditional sort of enterprise sales process. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, you know, the, the payment service provider or bank, they would reach out to uh, Ripple, they would um, engage with our solution architects and so on and would kind of integrate it. Um, I think one thing that I expect to happen in the longer term is, um, you know, while I was at, at, at Ripple and I'm in the process of transitioning out right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that. Um, but basically, um, we worked on an open protocol, yeah. which we envision would be more like a TCP IP okay, um, yeah. of, of money. Um, and that's a nice, that's a nice catchphrase. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the, the funny thing is that like, people have been using that catchphrase. I think for a lot of projects that don't look at all like TCP IP, mm. whereas Interledger, this the protocol I'm mentioning, yeah. um, is actually very closely yeah. Um, yeah. It resembles that stack. Anyway, so that's a protocol that we envision would be something that is more like TCP IP and then Ripple would be more like the Cisco mm-hmm. uh, of that world where it's, it's essentially it's providing enterprise mm-hmm. integrations providing enterprise software solutions um, but it's not it doesn't own the internet you know yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think we're going that direction I think right now um, we're just in an earlier stage in yeah. an early phase I think I actually forgot that Interledger was also part of part of Ripple as well <laughs> yeah and, yeah I know there's a lot of pieces and there. that's and we haven't really talked much about that actually and that um, from memory is basically a protocol of connecting ledgers and does it I mean how many ledgers does it support does it change <laughs> or is it only focusing predominantly on financial ledgers or yeah so we've been working on Interledger since 2015 mm-hmm. and in that time it's evolved quite a bit um, until I think in December we settled on what we call Interledger version 4 mm-hmm. um, which we feel like is pretty much the last one um um, and I know it's 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 a, it's a bold statement. Bold statement. In the, blockchain world. <laughs> <laughs> um, the reason the reason we feel it's the last one is because we've always gone by. Um, we want to get to a point when it's. Uh, as simple as possible, mm-hmm. but no simpler kind of thing. Um, and so now with Intelligent version 4, the only thing that it requires from the ledger is they can transfer money from one person to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems like just about as simple as you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... With that, we're kind of at a point where, okay, now we want to look more towards what can we use this protocol for. Um, Ripple uses it in their products. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'm about to start a company called Coil, which is going to use it in a different way. Oh, that explains email addresses. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, so uh, I think IntelliJ is a broader thing. Um, it's something that is going to span lots of different companies, lots of different industries, and it's going to be used in very different ways. Mm. And then, like, is it like a plug-in architecture then? Do you have a core and then people could write? Mm. They, if they invent a new ledger tomorrow, they can invent that. Exactly, exactly. So IntelliJ, um, when you actually implement it, the main component in it is it's what's called a connector. Yeah, okay. I think this is sort of sound familiar now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so the connector is essentially what on the internet would be a router. So yeah. it's something that takes packets of money yeah. and it forwards yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I think the way that I would envision it being used is that you know, any pair of connectors or anyone who wants to use IntelliJ, they can choose between themselves, like, what do they want to use to settle? And like I said, the only thing that's required of the settlement method is that I can transfer value, right? And so if I want to settle with you in, in bags of, uh, of of candy, I can settle with you in bags of candy. Yep. You know, as long as you accept that and I accept yep. that, IntelliJ is fine with that. And yep. so um, it's an incredibly flexible protocol. Yeah. And with that flexibility also comes the challenge of, well, what do you use it for? Mm. Um, so that's what the new company is about. And is that is IntelliJ what a lot of decentralized exchanges use? or mm. So IntelliJ, um, it's not an exchange. It's, it's No, a, but as a protocol to, to make the exchange happen. Yeah, so the way I would describe it is um, it's a abstraction layer for how money moves. So it kind of says like, hey, if I want to build an application that moves money around, that application doesn't have to be hard-coded mm-hmm. to PayPal's API or Bitcoin's mm-hmm. API. It can be coded to IntelliJ. And then how I want to solve the actual problem of moving the money or converting the money, exchanging the money, is totally up to the individual user. And so what that means is the connector, if it is going across currencies, it might use a centralized exchange to settle, mm-hmm. or it might use a decentralized exchange to settle, or maybe it just it doesn't settle at all, and it just sort of um, oh, yeah. draws down a big balance of, of a crypto that it has accumulated. I don't know, yeah. but it, it really, the, the intelligent layer does not care about no. that. Um, yeah. It's just an abstraction. Do you want to tell me more about Coil? Or? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Double check. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you picked up the hair. <laughs> Um, Picked up the subject. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm very, very excited, obviously, uh, to be going back into entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. starting my own company again. Um, this company is very much a spin-off of Ripple, mm-hmm. um, so it builds on a lot of the research that we've done there. But we've kind of hit a point where we've been researching IntelliJ for a long time. We we've been advocating for it for a long time, um, but. So far, you know, people have always gotten very interested, but it really takes somebody to build a great Mm -hmm. product on top of it to really get a community like that going. And so um, we feel like we're excited to to try that. And so what we want to do is we want to um, essentially build a product to solve how content and and applications are monetized on the web. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, So I'll give you the the quick explanation. Um, So if you are a website today and you want to monetize, you'll probably use either ads or maybe you'll have people subscribe. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll have people uh, support you through Patreon or a service like that. And the issue with most of those is that they're not really great for small yeah. uh, content creators and small websites. And so it's led to a lot of centralization. Um, so I think at this point, uh, Google and Facebook make up something like um, 50% of the global ad revenue yeah. just amongst themselves. I'm and surprised that, it's not more. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that percentage is growing as well. Yeah. I think if you take just the US and you take out China, yeah, but, um, it's yeah, closer yeah, to like 80%. Yeah. So um, it's, it's a big number. And so... Um, I think where where something of like web monetization could come in is 
it solves sort of a, an age-old problem with the web, which is we have this one-on-one interaction. I request your website, you send it to me, but there's no way for me to pay you for that website. Mm-hmm. And in the original web standards documents, there's actually an error code that's reserved for payment required, and it's the error code 402. Oh, might, really? Yeah, you 402, might, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you might have heard of 404. You 401, know, 405, exactly. 404, yeah. Exactly. 402 is payment required. And that kind of tells you that they were expecting mm-hmm. that there would be some kind of payment method built in, but there was, wasn't any protocol. W3C is working on some kind of payment standard, but I guess it's a more conventional method, yeah. So I'm glad you bring it up because yeah. we were very involved in that. So, yeah. um, <laughs> not surprisingly. <laughs> um, so my colleague, Adrian, who actually came over to Coil as well, yeah. um, he's been co-chairing the, the web payments okay. effort. Okay. Um, and so what's happening there is essentially building a better payments experience. Mm. Um, so today when you want to pay online, you have to select the right payment method yeah. and you have to mm. enter your all the details and then you can pay. Um, and so the idea with web payments is to make the browser sort of the arbiter of payment methods. And so um, the web, the merchant says, hey, I yeah. want to get paid with Visa. And then the browser yeah. says, hey, I have a Visa wallet that's registered. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's actually now rolling out and it's yeah. really making it easier to pay online. But what I'm talking about with Coil is actually going beyond that. It's, it's, it's um, rather than replicating how payments work today and just making the user experience a little bit a little bit easier this is actually introducing a new category of payments payments below 10 cents below 5 yep. cents yep. Um, and once you get to that scale you can't really have the user click a button anymore yep. because the, the, it, that would cost more psychologically yeah. than, than the, the money that yep. you're actually sending and so it has to be fully automated but if you fully automate it the user doesn't want to risk overspending yep. on things and so um, what Coil is going to provide is effectively a flat rate for the holdings of that. So you, you're getting this flat rate that we will pay the websites that you're going to. Mm. And so you have no risk. You have zero risk um, from overpaying because you're paying a flat rate. But then hopefully those websites will provide um, maybe extra content. Maybe they'll show less ads. Um, or maybe you're just doing it because you want to support content creators. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what we're going to explore. And obviously, it's it's one of those experimental startups. We'll see what happens. But. So actually, this is interesting. I mean, in my mind, this sounds a little bit like uh, Satoshi Pay and Brave, yep. sort of. Um, Brave is a nice idea, but the browser is too niche, mm. probably. And um, Satoshi Pay, well, they've had their own dramas, <laughs> and it, I think it works in a different way. Um, so, yeah, how how do you com- how does it compare to those two? And I guess how will you attempt to solve the problems they've had mm-hmm. and not have the same problems? Yeah, so I, I, th- I think there's been a lot of projects over the years, and, mm-hmm. and you know, even if you go beyond, sure, you know, yeah. Brave and, and Satoshi Pay, like I, like I remember Flatter, the, Flatter, exactly. They've yeah. been projects for a long time. But, but I discovered the other day, Flatter is, um, and it actually also based in Berlin, is owned by the same company as Adblocker Pro. Huh. Which is I, I, bizarre. Are you? Yeah, I discovered it last week, which is quite strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember the acquisition. I was, co- I, you know, I was somewhat sad about that acquisition because I thought, you know, Flutter was a pretty great company. 
Adblock Plus, I think, you know, a lot of content creators have not so good things to say about that. Anyway. Um, But we have to... But my point is, a lot of these existing micropayment solutions are effectively singular platforms, Mm. right? So you have all the users on Flatter and then you have all the projects Mm. on Flatter. Um, And I think with... Even with something like Brave, where there is sort of a token in the middle, it's still one platform that the token is hosted on. And so I think what all of these projects have lacked up to this point is something like Interledger, some open standard that they can be based on so that I can use whatever currency I want and the project can receive whatever currency that they want on whatever system that they want. And it still kind of works. Um, and nobody has to, not everyone has to have a relationship with the same company. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so that's, I think, what's unique about this project is we want to make it a true web standard. Yeah. So that it's not tied to, to yeah. coil. Or, or and then, then it's easier to get Google and Chrome to get around if it's a standard and things like that because they're going to be someone who's fairly resistant. Maybe. I'm not sure. It was interesting. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we now have these three or four years that we've been working on the web payment stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, those specs are, are actually, like rolling out yeah. in Chrome 68 yeah. is going to be the first version that has payment handlers that, yeah. that Adrian, my colleague, has co-authored mm. um, actually built in. Mm. And so um, we have experience with how do you get a web standard from the basic idea to the actual deployment. Now, I don't want to promise too much because web monetization is definitely much more out there yeah. than web payments. Web payments was a pretty obvious yeah. problem. <laughs> payments um, are easy. <laughs> Pay for things is <laughs> Exactly. Um, and so we'll see how it goes, but I think that the important thing is to have this kind of neutral approach. Um, yeah. If you're too tied to one platform, you're, you're yeah. going to have a hard time. I mean, actually, just to dig even further, it's an idea that has appealed to me for a very long time of that I think is, a, is more of an impossibility, but still... <laughs> Of you know, if it's that adage of like music sharing went down when Apple introduced the iTunes Store and made it easier mm-hmm. to to pay, and if you could have a way that basically you could access whatever you wanted on the internet, just whatever, download movies, download music, read pages, and then your ISP kind of tracked what you did and distributed, and like a tax on top of your your um, your monthly charge. But, I mean, that's probably never going to happen, but it's... <laughs> well, I, mean, I will definitely spend some of my time trying to make it happen. Well, at least in a browser, I mean, and then if you go into other protocols, it gets a bit more... And also just the international kind of negotiation would be... Yeah. yeah. I think that um, what we've sort of seen with with previous efforts is um, it's a really good idea to just make the technology, make it work, and just put it out there. And Mm. and stuff like this, you know, anyone who's a content creator that wants to make some extra money and also get some extra, you know, views Mm. can can adopt this technology and people that want to experiment with this can use it. And so... It doesn't take that much for some community to develop around it. And I think, again, previously there have been so many projects for micropayments that have had some success within some niche mm, community. Yeah. Um, and I yeah. think the only thing that's really been missing is this open protocol aspect so they can really scale and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, spend yeah. different communities. You even get to the extent where you could like not only trade fiat currencies and cryptocurrencies, but like World of Warcraft money whatever that's called I'm not sure and and all these sorts of other strange like proto cryptocurrencies yeah exactly Um, yeah (laughs) okay well um apart from the fact you started a new company (laughs) is there anything else in the next six months that you want people to know about or 
Um, <laughs> oh, so much. I mean, we... <laughs> it's probably the main one, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think we could spend a long, long time talking about stuff. So, uh, two weeks ago now, mm -hmm. um, we released a new open source project called Codius. Okay. Um, so, this is essentially somewhere between a hosting platform and a smart contracts platform. Ah, okay. Um, so, this has been a lot of fun. I mean, for us, this has been a way to uh, put a real production use case on top of Interledger. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And it was one that, that we'd done some work on way back in 2013, 2014. And so we pretty much had it ready to go um, and uh, we're able to put it out pretty quickly. Um, so that's something that's kind of ongoing. We've been playing around with that. There's now 185 hosts or something, people running ho uh, running these Codius hosts. Okay. And so very interesting to see what people will do with that. So it's essentially like a hosting platform where you pay with Interledger. And so what that means is that I can upload to a lot of different hosts using a single API and just use a pay using the standard protocol. And as a host, I can receive any currency I want. I can um, uh, I don't have to worry about what currency you're using. Uh, I'm just offering this open API for hosting. But a host for the smart contracts or a host for other things? Um, it, well, it's, like it's, it's Docker container, so it's basically like any software. Oh, okay. So, really ah, so it's basically a decentralized AWS. Yeah, that's, exactly, <laughs> that's, that's a great way to describe huh. it. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, so the, the reason we did it is because what we want to show is you know, everyone's going out there and they're doing an ICO yeah. and they're, they're putting out a token and they're creating a blockchain and everyone's kind of got this architecture. Yeah. And what we, we're trying to say is, look, you can do it a different way. You can have no token, you can have no blockchain, and you can just ride on top of Interledger. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you can do the same project yeah. that would have taken you two years, yeah. and you can do it in a week. This actually, I mean, I actually used to work, uh, well, I still do to a certain extent, doing writing work for a lot of... Uh, tech companies and one of the ones I worked for in the past was a decentralized database company and blockchain community is very bad at knowing its history and it's like <laughs> decentralization is not new you know <laughs> so, anyway um, that actually sounds really fascinating and probably something that would certainly appeal to uh, the sorts of people I write for actually <laughs> yeah I think yeah. It's, it's the kind of thing where like you can apply it to and it is literally just docker on top of something else yeah, yeah. And, and I think there are blockchain projects trying to do that yeah. like you know hosting with blockchain but you know, again what we're trying to say is, yeah. is how much easier it becomes yeah. when you don't have to develop your own blockchain yeah, yeah for sure things, right huh. and so um, and I, th I see that parallel to the internet where yeah. you know before the internet, you would have had to first build a network and yeah. hook people up to you. And network. Docker provides all the networking and the virtual machine stuff as well. You don't have to worry about like exactly. So you just take these two technologies, the Ethereum virtual machine or something, because yeah. it does virtual machines in a fairly production-tested way. Yeah, it's actually <laughs> funny because here's something interesting. So when we announced Codius, um, I actually looked at when did Docker come out, and and the first release of Docker was 2013, mm. which was at a time when me and a lot of other people were already working on smart contracts yeah. but think about how ubiquitous Docker has become and how smart contracts are still kind of experiments mm. yeah. you know? I think it's like it, it, it's very interesting how and I think what's been missing with the blockchain technology for it to really take off in practice, not just speculative, but in practice, is this sort of pragmatic approach, the interoperability. Exactly. They, they like to reinvent everything for some reason, <laughs> yeah. which I find it frustrating, actually. I, well, I think it's to do yeah. with the tokens, right? You kind of have to reinvent everything to Maybe. have a reason for your token. Maybe. It's even just governance structures. Like, I remember sitting in one blockchain and like, we need a way to collaborate and... 
Uh, it's like if you just looked at the git or you know these things existed for a long time like I don't know why or look at open source software foundations they've been doing decentralized decision making for a long time like uh-huh. learn from their mistakes and what how they solve them and like I don't know yeah. <laughs> sometimes yeah. I find it frustrating yeah. <laughs> but anyway it's okay. a whole other topic Okay, so my name is Dennis Everin, and I'm peer consultant uh, for the Multi Blockchain Summit. And uh, as as you might know, the Multi Blockchain Summit is organised in Malta, uh, which has gained a reputation as the blockchain island. It's the first regulated blockchain jurisdiction in the world, um, I think. <laughs> uh, as far as I know, there is no one who has passed laws uh, similar to those passed here in Malta yet. As far as I know, yeah, I was actually at a recent um, uh, conference and there was a session where they talked about regulation and I think um, Switzerland is getting close, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think it's there quite yet. Singapore also may be close, but... Um, yeah, Crypto Valley is also a strong, strong uh, brand yeah. in this, uh, in this uh, case. Yeah, it's uh, nice to have... Uh, places that aren't america ahead of things for once <laughs> definitely definitely so let's talk a little bit more about the conference the event first um you have a lot of speakers from business and kind of regulatory side of blockchain and crypto than the technical side uh investors um advisors uh, legal people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, what are you aiming to achieve and accomplish with the summit? Yes. Yeah, so, the su- the summit it's taking part in first sec- and second of November this year, mm-hmm. and uh, we're expecting actually as much as five thousand delegates to mm-hmm. come to Malta. And we have four conferences. So okay. each conference has a theme, and it's first one is the regulatory. Then mm-hmm. we have the affiliate marketing. Uh, and then we have the tech conference or developers conference, as you okay. might call it as well, mm-hmm. and also the cryptocurrencies conference. So the speakers we have invited are are sourced for each conference due to the, the knowledge and experience that they possess. So, for instance, we have uh, W. Scott Sternetta, mm-hmm. uh, who will be at the tech conference, mm-hmm. and uh, he is actually uh, credited credited as the uh, co-inventor of blockchain technology. Uh, Wall Street Journal ran, ran uh, an article on that. Uh, Stuart Haber, um, that's his colleague, because they wrote they wrote a research paper in 1991. And uh, this research paper was, was referenced in the white paper for that, that was issued when, when Bitcoin was created. So Bitcoin was basically made out of their research. That's actually interesting. I, one of the things I think the, the blockchain community is very guilty of is not knowing its history very well. Um, yeah. And to yeah, actually have someone who in theory has been in it for a long time. <laughs> is, yeah, is for, sure, for sure. Um, I mean, we're putting him in the limelight. And then we have uh, some very, very um, like uh, large, large investors coming from uh, Silicon Valley. And uh, yeah. Uh, for instance, Yida Gao, he used to be part of uh, the largest venture capital fund in the world, mm-hmm. actually. And now he's a general partner at uh, Divergence Digital First mm-hmm. Fund. 
Um, it's a multi-strategy crypto fund. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and he's coming all the way from Los Angeles and, and San Francisco, where he's usually based. Yeah. Uh, we also have um, Tusha Ergo. She's a Forbes 30 under 30. Okay. Uh, also, also from the investment community. And we have people like uh, Sonny Dillon. Yeah. Uh, his partner at Signia Venture Partners. And what um, what what's the because the I, I noticed this with the ticketing as well the the approach to having the separate events. Do you hope that people from different sides will will meet and interact with each other? Because that's sometimes needed. I think I think in this industry, especially, uh, everyone has slightly unrealistic expectations of what each other can accomplish. And maybe if they uh, met each other and uh, talked with each other a bit more and they would uh, understand each other's perspectives better. <laughs> so you're hoping to get people to mix with each other and understand each other's uh, sort of side of the blockchain pie, as it were? Yes. I mean, um, our motto is usually that business is done between people and mm. not primarily between companies. So the way we built this summit, we tried to include everything, every sector that's possible to include in these different themes. And we will also have a two-day hackathon, okay. ICO pitch, and uh, the expo floor was, will be filled with people all the time. It will be very, very bustling expo floor, actually. It's not yeah. the kind of conference you go to where everyone just run in and out of the conference hall. The expo floor is filled all throughout the day. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, we definitely want people to, to find synergies. And we've also invited affiliates and blockchain developers for free because that's, uh, that's really something that most of these companies are trying to find. And oh, yeah, affiliates sure. are, are difficult to find because generally they, they don't operate uh, like that. They go to conferences and you find them there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they are very useful since Facebook and Google uh, are cracking down on, on everything crypto-related. Uh, yeah. They have changed their stance just recently, but still, um, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's possible to push anything through Facebook yet, as far as, I'm, as, far as I know. They, they don't uh, allow all kinds of crypto advertising, for instance. No. Um, so these affiliates are invited for free and also blockchain developers. Okay. Uh, so we want, yeah, we want people to to uh, be able to to find the synergies they need in order to grow their businesses, and that's that's what we're aiming for with all these different conferences and venues. Let's. Uh, so I'm, I'm guessing from your accent, you're Scandinavian, Baltic-ish. Yeah, that, that's correct. Yeah. So the reason I asked that is just. Um, what what took you to, to what what took you and what takes other people to to Malta to to get involved in the technology space? It's a very good question, actually. Um, Malta, it's like the Silicon Valley of Europe. So for me, it was <laughs> it was a very pragmatic choice. I uh, I took my master degree in Italy at uh-huh. the University of Bologna. And after that, I was pretty much accustomed to the Mediterranean region. Yeah. But I wanted to go somewhere where it was a little bit, the business climate would be a better and somewhere where you could actually uh, you know, achieve something great. Mm. 
and um, I was looking around. I created a spreadsheet, you know, uh, and ticked all the uh, pros and cons. And uh, it, it, the decision was either Malta, Singapore, or Tel Aviv, in my case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and since Malta is within the European Union, yeah. it, this decision fell on Malta, for sure. Singapore is not in the Mediterranean region anyway. So no, actually, let's let's dig further into Malta in a second. I just find that interesting because I've sort of been going through a similar period myself. I somewhat miss the English-speaking world. Um, Berlin is you can get a long way, but <laughs> you, you need some good German at some point. Um, and I also lived in Australia for a long time, so I miss the warmer weather. Um, we've been we've been doing the same thing building up a spreadsheet. Uh, And at least two of the places you mentioned are potentially on our spreadsheet. (laughs) The European Union thing is is an advantage. Um, Unfortunately, I'm here in my British passport, so that's going to become less useful. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's it's, it's another reason to look forward to coming, to to kind of explore some of that side of things. Um, But the, the one, I guess the one thing that jumps out for me as being a potential negative, and then we'll get specifically into the blockchain aspect, is the size um, does the population I just looked just under about half a million um, yeah. does the size of the country make it harder to uh, is it one of those very traditional small countries like Israel and some of the Baltic countries where they have to be very global because um, we can't service the, the servicing the local market isn't enough yeah, most definitely. And I think it's been like that historically as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because there is not a lot of um, natural resources yeah. in Malta. They've always had to rely on their skills and expertise, yeah. mostly in ship repair and these kind of industries. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, so um, Malta has always had to had to um, do something something rather uh, particular to, to be able to... Um, Rise, rise up, and and uh, be a player on the global global markets. And is the where do you think the the kind of enthusiasm for blockchain comes from? Has there always been a general enthusiasm for technology over the past few years, or did it escalate around the the blockchain? And what do you think uh, attracted the government and, and businesses there to it so much? Well, Malta is very—it's—it's very, it's, it's very um, future-oriented. Very pragmatic politicians here, and I mean, um, one of one of the—and they also have very good lawyers here, mm, like okay. legal experts who would be able to figure out how to solve this quite mm. easily. Because uh, first, you had the maritime sector. Yeah. Some of the best maritime lawyers in the world are based here in Malta. Uh, it's a very big nation in terms of uh, ships that carries the Maltese flag. And then you have the iGaming sector. And there, Malta was the first country in the European Union to regulate iGaming. Okay. And uh, a whole infrastructure has been created around the iGaming sector. Mm-hmm. And it's quite large. I think it accounts for about 2% of the, um, the uh, entire industry in the world is located here. And if you you know, compare relative to the size, it's quite a lot. You mean online gaming or... Yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. And then the um, leap from online gaming into um, AI and blockchain 
it's not very uh, far you know far, far off it's mm. uh, the skills to to get in for that is already already in the iGaming infrastructure i would say and actually even looking back further than that an interesting thing with when you mentioned the shipping industry is um <laughs> the concept of uh, kind of universally agreed um, well universal agreements around the world existed in the shipping industry for a very long time and still does things like insurance and and legal requirements and stuff like that Uh, it's actually something a lot of people are not aware of you know some of these aspects have existed for quite a while so I guess there's a history there with the legal profession being used to coming to agreement with other entities around the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, and then and then a, a second factor I think is uh, any small country has a quite um, fast-paced legislature. Yeah, for but, sure. So there is not as many instances that a decision has to pass through before it becomes law, and. Some of these large countries like Germany or yeah, yeah. whatever, they, they point finger and say, oh, you opportunist bastards. You're just, <laughs> you know. But it's not that. They're not opportunistic. They're just quicker. And yeah. it goes for any small country. It's easier to pass a law. Uh, think, in a small country, I mean, I think in the bigger Sweden, countries are just jealous. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. They are. I mean, in Sweden, for instance, they they have been they are launching their gaming regulations now, and they've been working on them for ten years. Ten for ten years, they've been drafting. It's been sent back and yeah. forth yeah. within um, the government, different departments, and so on. And all these opinions had to be. Uh, <laughs> circulated before anything could be passed into a law but here everything is much quicker and the same thing for Liechtenstein in Switzerland mm, 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 mm. and also uh, Singapore the Baltic countries especially yeah. Estonia um, all these places Israel well maybe Israel I, I actually I, I visited Israel to interview startups last year and I didn't didn't get too much into that side of things but I, I guess they're I'm not sure. They have they have some other issues that sometimes maybe <laughs> slow things down a bit that so many other countries don't. Um, and and what's been uh, what's what's kind of been recent news in the uh, Malta blockchain space that might interest people to know? Well, um, the largest cryptocurrency exchange is moving here. Uh-huh. I, I guess you already know that Binance. Okay. And then we have OKX as well. Okay. Uh, but then, uh, some couple of weeks ago, it was also announced that Binance is investing into the first distributed bank, um, Founders Bank. And that bank is going to be located here as well. And okay. as far as I know, it's the first distributed bank uh, in the world to be established. So and- each uh, customer who will take part in that bank will also own part of the bank. So it will be okay. oh, distributed cool. on, a, on a blockchain ledger pretty much and when you say the exchanges are locating are they actually physically locating or or kind of legally locating um i would say legally relocating okay. uh because as binance is also hiring a lot of staff in uganda okay. oh. and uh different places so yeah these are global uh, corporations so yeah. they, they will they will have offices in many different places and so far, I, I don't know really how large the staff will be here in Malta, but some sort of HQ operations will definitely be located here, I think. And I guess 
ignoring the the obvious ones like tax and stuff, what do you feel the other advantages to to Malta are for these companies to locate there? Um, well, weather is certainly one. Uh, when you work in a no, no, no adva- advantages to Malta and to the Maltese people. Out of the Maltese people mm. uh, of having the companies coming yeah. inside. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's boost the economy, of course. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and it's yeah creates creates uh, new jobs and uh, Malta is placed on the map. Uh, this is like a historical thing, uh, yeah. actually. That Malta yeah. is the first regulated crypto jurisdiction, so everyone is quite proud. Of Proud of that. Well, I mean, and, the, uh, the, the country is going through quite uh, quick developments right now. So, yeah. So, uh, everything that, is that, that, that was kind of my question. Like, uh, does the technology space benefit kind of most people in the country? <laughs> well, you know, development is um, in Malta is like in any other country. It's uh, it could be a it's always uh, yeah. you know yeah. A, yeah. a process which which. Uh, yeah, could be could be a bit uh, rough. Yeah, since you have to you have to rebuild things, and some people aren't really uh, ready to to, uh, to to make the transition. But uh, so far, I've, I've what I've seen, it's uh, handled very well, and there is not a lot of um, opposition to anything taking place here. Okay, uh, the, the, both of the um, political parties are, are quite quite aligned on the same goals so yeah, yeah okay. i would say people are benefiting and is, is this the first time you're running the summit yes but okay. um the, the same company uh we, we are running also the uh, sigma uh okay. that's uh, the summit of iGaming malta okay. and uh, that was started four years ago by eman police mm-hmm and um, now it's grown to one of the largest uh, iGaming summits in the world, actually. So it's 12,000 confirmed delegates this year. Okay. But that's, th- that's a different show. So it's, no, uh, for sure, it's yeah. I think that was going to be one of my one of my questions, actually. <laughs> Maybe you've just confirmed it's okay with 12,000 attendees. Like, can... Uh, can, uh, can I'm not actually sure the, the city takes place in, but um, let me see... No, the, the show has outgrown every hotel. Yeah, okay, that was uh, going to be my so, question. Yeah, yeah we, have to, we have to build a tent on, on a large open area, and uh, then pretty much every hotel is. Yeah, yeah. I guess I should book mine soon. As well. Yeah, being being a freelance journalist, no one covers your expenses, so you got to you got to uh, get in early, I guess. Um, and I think that's that's. I, I remember we we were in uh, Lithuania and we were speaking to um, the organisers of a, a gaming conference there, and they have a similar problem in that it's become so big that the local industry can't necessarily cope with the amount of people that it's bringing. Um, which is again good and bad, of course, for everybody. Yeah, um, yeah. But so, yeah. in general is a very good, very good place to have uh, events because. Yeah. Uh, when you land at the airport, you have maximum between twenty and forty minutes to to your hotel. Yeah. So it's not like when you go to uh, a large, larger European city, uh, it might be an hour, or one one and a half before you actually get to the venue. For sure. Here it's very very short, short yeah. journey. Yeah. 
And I guess just finally, is there anything that you would like people to know that we haven't covered about the event or about Malta in general? Yes, I mean the the event as such. Um, we've we've received so much enthusiasm, mm-hmm. far above our expectations. Um, when when we compare it to when uh, when Sigma was started, mm-hmm. it's doing much better than the first edition of that uh, in terms of uh, tickets sold. Um, mm-hmm. Exhibitors and everything. We're already pretty much sold out on all of our exhibition packages, Uh, and um, and tickets. um, Yeah, we. I think definitely we reached the target of five thousand delegates. Uh, That that's that's for sure. And um, the show is is is, um, what what we usually do is we we put all of our exhibitors, sponsors, and and uh, whoever wants to attend into the limelight so mm-hmm. we yeah. make sure yeah, to see. organize yeah. a lot of events around the actual summit as well so we have dinners uh, we organized a an eye gathering in a like pool party actually on the 16th of june together with crypto friends yeah <laughs> crypto friends is an event partners of ours yeah and that was very well received many of of our confirmed delegates for the summit they came there and started to to uh, acquaint themselves already in in June, so we we've, we have a lot of really good relationships forming around this summit, and uh, that's that's amazing, actually. Yeah, that's especially nice. I think um, one aspect of conferences I've especially found in Europe, even Southern Europe, is, as a, in contrast to American conferences, is um, trying like especially if you work for a small company or on your own or something like that, trying to find people to hang out with in the evenings and things like that. It can be sometimes Europeans are not as gregarious as Americans and it could sometimes be hard to, to, to find people to hang out with. So if you have lots of social events, it really helps to yeah. get people having yes. a nice time. And then, you know, the evenings are when the, the, the real, the real event happens, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. <laughs> so and also perfect for anyone needing a, a, well, early winter, but uh, winter break in uh, from the northern hemisphere, or from northern Europe and northern America in early November. It's great. I've actually been to Web Summit in uh, Lisbon uh, around the same sort of time, and it's always a nice welcome, quick respite from the weather. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, also true. perfect for that too. Um, excellent. So on those limited tickets still available. Um, What's the, yes. the best place to find them? How can people uh, get the tickets? Then you go to, to yeah, summit.com and then you press buy tickets and there you can get them. Cool. And um, currently they are, they are at the reduced price. So um, Yeah, and I, I think I also noticed, which is very appropriate, you can pay in a wide variety of ways, <laughs> yeah. shall we say, <laughs> which, is, which is the way it should be, really. Um, exactly. For a crypto conference, actually very few do that, which is somewhat surprising. Um, so that's also good. Uh, and also including um, more traditional, in quote marks, uh, uh, non-traditional payments like PayPal and, and Skrill and things like that too, which is also cool. I, as an international yeah, of kind course. of employee, I get paid so much in PayPal. It's always nice to just be able to pay directly out of it instead of converting it to 
to proper currency first and things like that. So it's always great when you can do that. Um, yeah, we, we have it. So because we have a lot of guests from, from India yeah, exactly, and these kind of yeah. countries, and yeah. there could sometimes be a problem with, if you don't process PayPal. That's that's the preferred method. And that was my interviews with Stefan Thomas and Emmanuel Pooley, talking about Ripple, about uh, Stefan's new projects, and about the Multi-Blockchain Summit. If you have enjoyed the show, you can find previous episodes at com slash podcast. You can support the show at gregariousmammal.com slash support, and you can find us on Facebook. Just search for Gregarious Mammal. I've been Christian Chiller. You can find me on christianchiller.com or tweet me at Chris Chinch. Talk to you next time.